What up, all you beautiful misfits and rejects out there? Thank you for joining me for episode 154 of Misfits and Rejects. In today's episode, I sat down with Anne Raber in her van in Newport Beach, California. Anne has designed her life as a rock climber. Not a professional rock climber, but just somebody who is very enthusiastic about rock climbing. And she shares her time between America and France, rock climbing year-round, living out of her van. Very simple life, but a life that's tremendously fulfilling to her, as you'll hear throughout the episode. Really enjoyed this conversation because, again, Anne is not aspiring to become anything more than she is with her rock climbing it's just something she's really passionate about, and she's designed her whole life around it, just seeking out different rock faces to challenge herself on and plugging herself into a different culture and community over in France. Really cool, inspirational story, and I, and I appreciated uh, her telling it. If you're a first-time listener, please pull out that phone, hit the subscribe button. If you're interested in supporting Misfits and Rejects, you can do that on Patreon. Patreon's a platform for creators like myself and fans like yourself to support this podcast. So it's pretty simple. You just head over to patreon.com backslash Misfits and Rejects. And if you feel so inclined, donating any amount per month is always super helpful. Obviously, nothing is expected. I love doing this for you. But that's one way you could support me and this podcast. It does help me create and keep this podcast going. And I just want to thank all those who are donating. It does make a huge difference in getting me from point A to point B uh, when somebody is not in my area and I either have to take a bus, drive, whatever that may be. It's you know helping with gas, helping with bus tickets, helping me just buy them beer to make them sometimes feel more comfortable speaking to me. So thank you again to all those Patreons out there who are helping me uh, produce this podcast every single week. So with that said, please sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode with Ann Raper. Welcome to Misfits and Rejects, a podcast about the lifestyle design of expatriates, travelers, entrepreneurs, and adventurers. I'm your host, Chapin Cruder. Enjoy. I didn't fit in America. With cocaine, there's just always too many guns and too many bad attitudes. I quit the limiting stories. Really try to overcome that fear. Right there, for any of your listeners, a lot of what I was to do in the rest of my life was formulated by the fact I just went and did it. Welcome to another episode of Misfits and Rejects. Today I'm joined by Ann Raber, a friend of mine that was introduced to me through my sister at her Pilates studio. However, that's not her full-time life. She's more of a, a wanderer, a gypsy, a nomad, if you will, climber. She loves rock climbing. She spends... 80% of her year out in the wild climbing and just nomading around Europe and America. And I thought it'd be really cool for you, the audience to understand like how and why she's designing her life in this way. So, Anne, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's nice to have you. It's great to be We're here. We're sitting in this beautiful van of yours. It's kind of a, I'm not going to say you did it when it was trendy, but it's like a very trendy thing now to have these like kitted out vans that people live in, especially within the surf community and the climbing community, I'm assuming. How long have you had this thing? I actually didn't get this van until it was quite popular. Uh, I was pretty intimidated by these vans. Uh, I got this van, who I call Barak. Barak. Yeah. What does that mean? Uh, it means a lot of things, but it means blessed in Hebrew. Okay. So that's kind of the name. But like Barack Obama. And I just learned actually that uh, in French, Barak is like a almost a slang word for a house, but like a shack. So it's sort of serendipitous in that way. It's perfect. Right? So perfect. I mean, yeah, we're sitting in this park in your van overlooking Newport Bay, um, idyllic in so many ways. But at the same time, I would imagine you pull up on most places in this van that are pretty idyllic and like beautiful landscapes. And then you go to, go out rock climb for the day and then come back and, and this is your home. This is, this is how you live. 
Yeah, Barack, uh, he gets a good view everywhere he goes. Is it hard to maintain? The Is van. The van, yeah. No, how... Uh, like, no. I mean, just like <laughs> keeping it clean, keeping her running, keeping... Barack is a pretty new van. I got I got this van in May of 2016, and um, I bought it. It was tw- the tw- it's the 2015 model, so it's like the, by far the fanciest thing I've ever owned, um, and the newest car. Was it kitted out already, or did no? You no, it? it was empty. It was a just metal, as you see on the door, like oh. just pure metal. And um, I did all of the work. Um, I did a lot of it on my own, and I had a lot of the carpentry. Uh, I had sort of a mentor helping me, Brian Hedrick, who does, um, he restores uh, Corvairs and uh, like old uh, Chevy vans. But he, we did all of the carpentry together, and um, he really like held my hand and, and most of the tools. Now, this is one of two vehicles, I believe. You have one sitting waiting for you in London. Yeah, I have a second van, Mahalo, the Eurovan. Um, and she lives in, so silly, like how we anthropomorphize these <laughs> vans, but I just, it's just easier. Uh, Mahalo lives in my brother's backyard in Ufford, which is a small village, um, in Suffolk County, uh, north of London. And is it just like this, kitted out, fully livable? It's kitted out, fully livable. Mahalo is a 1998 Citroen jumper, so it's older. And, um, I actually bought Mahalo off of a friend who had been living in it for a really long time with her husband and like two kids. And, uh, which is amazing to me. And she built it as she went, like they made it as they went. So it's very DIY. Um, obviously the listeners can't see, but Barack is like pretty pristine. Like it's kind of a beach house vibe in here. And it's all very, it's like a splashboard for the sink. Like, it's great. It's full on and it's very like a unified like design. But and Mahalo is just a little bit more DIY. Mm. Like the cabinets are like wine boxes, like nailed to the walls, you know. You can see where like um she kind of like changed her mind and like reinstalled some lighting. So it's not so fancy as this, but it's perfectly livable and it's uh Mahalo is, is I think of Mahalo as like the crumbling chateau on the French countryside that I bought that's, like, going to take all my money and time for the rest of my life. And Barack is, like, my Newport beach house. Like, it's beautifully said. I can totally too- envision that and how he just you know, described it. This is, like, new construction, modern, modern tiling. Mahalo is... It's a crumbling chateau. <laughs> do you ever post on van life on Insta? No. You don't have any social media, do you? Uh, no, I have, I had an Insta for a while, for a long time, and I deleted it like six months ago. And, but just a few days ago, I opened it back up because my friend's dog passed away. And I was telling her like, uh, that I had all these photos of her dog from over the years that I've spent, spent time with her. And I, and I love them. I love them. And her dog was amazing. And she was like, oh gosh, like I'd love to see them. And I was like, shit, they're like four phones ago, but I know they're on my deactivated Insta that I'm not planning on using again. I didn't actually know if I'd done the delete or the deactivate. So I kind of like emailed a little bit and was like, okay, it does still exist. I can reopen it. So I reopened it to get those photos for her, but they won't let me delete it again for till Friday. They make you stay a week. So you can't like 
activate your account, really spam everybody. <laughs> I think they don't want you to spam everybody okay. and then delete it again immediately. Okay. So they make you sit there for a week and like face your demons. <laughs> That's interesting. I mean, talking pre-show, it, it became clear to me that the social media thing's not your thing. No. Um, I mean, climbing is obviously your thing, but like being the spotlight isn't like you're not aspiring to be a pro climber, even though you're probably at a pro level. And it's just a very, it's really cool, unique way to design your life, you know, and, and the way you're thinking about things and moving around the world. And you've been doing this, what, like almost 10 years now. You started in what, 2009, I think you told me. Yeah. was kind of like. 2009 slash 10 that winter. And you're from Houston originally, you said. I mean, yeah. it sounds like pre-show you have like. And pre-2009, which sounded like you might have been married, like you were living a completely different life. <laughs> then it's like 2009 hits, everything changes. Did you get into climbing around the same time? No, I mean, I always, I wouldn't say it was like a huge break, but definitely up until through my 20s, um, I started climbing um, in my mid-20s and really loved it and really saw my future in being a climber living in, uh, I was living in Austin, Texas at the time and I was married and, uh, I really saw myself staying there and being a climber for my whole life in this really local climbing scene of Austin, Texas. And I think I just spent my twenties doing what most people do in their twenties or I don't know, maybe most people, I really wanted to like be an adult and like do shit right. You know, like I wanted to have like a job. I wanted a husband. I wanted like a yard with those big agave plants and like a bungalow, you know, with like the trim. I had like a real, it was not on my radar to be in any kind of other lifestyle just because I equated, I really wanted to try to be successful, like give it my all. Like probably I had doubts at the time that that was possible for me, but I, I really wanted to like give her. And that so was, you think, conditioned in you, like it is all of us in the beginning. Maybe. Yeah, I guess. I mean, my family has always understood that I was different. They've always encouraged me to do my own thing, but I don't think it's not from them. It's not from my family. I just maybe I never saw anybody doing anything else. With the exception of, I have, I have one of those ants. I have two of those ants that you have who does something a little weird. Crazy ant who's just kind of eccentric. Just a little and like... bit of a weird ant. I have two of them actually, one on each side. It's priceless. But they, even they, like, you know, they had, they had like kids and homes, but they were a little, one, one of my aunts like moved her whole family to Italy for a year. You know, my other aunt, like, moved to Africa for two years with her daughter. Like they were doing interesting things, but it somehow it didn't, it didn't, I was afraid of being like them. I wanted to be like, not, I wanted to be successful. Like my, I wanted to. So what'd you do that try to achieve that goal? Like, did you get a, like a six figure job? At oh God, no, geez. I don't think I would ever, I don't think there are six figure jobs that I would ever be able to get, but <laughs> I, uh, no, I, uh, went to college. It took a really long time, but I finished it. I married a really straight-laced guy. I were I focused on working a lot, focused on like having a job. I 
Like tried. What, though, what was your you um, got out of college? I mean, you had a degree that you probably had a specialized uh, set of skills in, right? Or no? I got offered a job working with a like um, at-risk youth kind of community program okay. with a clinical department. And they also did wilderness therapy. That's the first time I ever like went camping or anything was with them. And I got that job and I did that for two years, two or three years. And it was full time and it was more than full time. It was like full time life suck. Like it was like, you're always on. You always have to answer the phone. You always, you have no life, like except working with at risk youth out of churches in Houston. It was cool in a way, but, um, and it felt very like, okay, like I'm doing it. I'm adulting. Like, (laughs) you know, I will probably never have as consistent a job or as big a paycheck again. And I bought a house. I bought a house. That was the other thing I did, like, cause I had some money. So I was like from the job. So I bought a house. I was just trying to adult, but I was like 24. Like, what the hell? (laughs) Like, you know? And my parent, honestly, my father tried to tell me that I was like not living my truth. He didn't use those words, but I think he knew like this is fucking weird. Like she's just like doing all these very conventional things. When did the shift happen and how did it happen? Um, I decided I was pursuing writing. Uh, I loved reading. So, and I loved speaking and I'm good with words. So I had this idea. I wanted to be like a, a war correspondent journalist. Like I wanted, I was reading a lot of like the old New Yorkers from the eighties and nineties and the, and a lot of the women who were writing, um, political and more like, um, per, uh, human interest style, long articles about places that were in conflict and they did it so elegantly, you know, where they they could really do that great thing where you're talking about a small situation, a small aspect of life and seamlessly weaving it back to a grand political conflict or a war and really seeing, you know, I'm talking about those articles, like you really see it. And in the 90s and 80s in the New Yorker, there's like just like a trove of people writing that way about strange places, small conflicts that are part of this big system. It just fascinated me. And I wanted to try to write like that. I think I might've just wanted to like live in an interesting place, but I was really drawn to that type of work. So I went to, um, I went to Sri Lanka for three and a half months in 2008 and I was married at the time. But I had gotten married quite young and it was really like, honestly, it was like, for me, it was a desperate act of trying to be normal. Sorry. And, uh, but, um, uh, I was, I was super in love with the guy at the time as well. But, um, I went to Sri Lanka and at the end of their, what turned out to be the last years of their long protracted civil war, just to learn that, to like write stories. I filed, um, radio headlines for FSRN, um, which is like a sort of hardcore leftist public radio network in the U S and, um, I just was doing that. I came back from that and was like, um, 
and it was 2008 and the economy had exploded and all concept of being a journalist who has a career was to me seemed gone, you know, like but you kind of just done it. Like you kind of just proved yourself that you could be in Sri Lanka and doing it to a certain extent. No, fair enough. A fair point, my friend. <laughs> um, I guess so, but I wasn't doing it in a way that I wasn't earning enough money. I wasn't, it just seemed like fucking struggle, you know, it was like hard. Like, and, and your life now isn't that hard. Like, it I doesn't mean, feel hard. No, <laughs> Grand, you have felt, a luxurious van, but it felt hard. Like, I'm um, not just living day to day, but just if nobody wants you to be a writer of those types of stories, nobody involved in that world wants anyone else to be doing it because it's, that's very competitive. It's a competitive world. There's a limited number of eyes, a limited number of publications. The work of writing stories is actually not that fun. It has fun moment for me. It's not fun. Like I, I, I think what I realized was what, number one, I couldn't get, I wanted security. I was desperate for security. Then that's, I think what the entire of my twenties was about was like, I want security. I want what people had in the nineties. I want a job. I want a house. I want a man. I want things to rely on in the physical world. And I was willing to do anything to get them. <laughs> and, um, I realized that journalism was not going to get me that it was going to be, it was going to be a freelancing cluster struggle to find, write and publicize stories. And I didn't even love doing it that much. I loved traveling. I loved meeting people and talking to people. I didn't love going back to my apartment and listening back to the interviews and hammering it all out. Like I actually found that to be pretty tedious. This is really interesting actually, because I can relate in the sense that you're 39, I'm 39 and we kind of miss that window of where podcasting blogging was just an idea that came to you as a natural sort of like, well, if I'm not going to be a journalist, I'll start a blog. I'll start a podcast and do what I want on my own terms. Like, I remember it took me years to have that idea to just Google something come into my brain as like an option. You know, I'd be sitting there going, like driving, like, how the fuck am I going to figure this out right now? Like, this is a serious issue. <laughs> you know, like, Where's the library? <laughs> where's the library? Like, <laughs> and, and like, you can probably relate where it's just, it's just that not that natural intuitive sense that I think these millennials have where it's like, oh, just swipe left, swipe right. You know, like mm -hmm. they can. Yeah. I relate to what you say. I do think that our year, class of 79, 80, there was, um, there was a big hole in our situation after college and before professionalism being 30 or whatever, where the economy fell apart. It became very, all of the old structures we might have aspired to be a part of proved to be um, both made of bullshit and the expectations w that our maybe parents had for us, that was no longer possible. And, um, or it wasn't available. It didn't seem like it, but there wasn't the, we didn't have, there was no example of somebody doing it differently yet. And, um, yeah, I mean, at the time, the first thing I did when I got back from Sri Lanka was I started a blog about climbing 
and it was on WordPress. And at that time, the internet was so fun. It was pretty small, like relatively, you know, you, it was fairly small and it was fairly polite outside of probably some dark corners. Like, um, and I started a blog about climbing and it was all written in this like false voice, um, that was similar to me, but not quite. And, um, it was really, really fun. And then as over a few years, the internet really changed. It got a lot bigger. Social media became a thing. Facebook, everybody got Facebook. At that time, you weren't allowed to have Facebook if you didn't have an Ivy League.edu address, if you remember that time. No, you I had don't. to have an EDU email address uh, in order to use Facebook, and it had to be from a select group of colleges. And then they opened it up to all EDU addresses, and then they opened it up to everybody. So that happened. And I started to get uh, comments on my blog that were pretty aggressive, like people actually like... First generation of trolls. <laughs> not even trolls, just people acting how they act now on the internet. Just like taking me to task or like complimenting me in a way that seemed really vapid. Just like, love what you're doing. Keep it up. It's like, what are you talking about? Like, stop commenting. Like, what is this comment function even for? Like, can I... I just realized I didn't want any part of it. I didn't want to have any conversations. My vision, my dream in writing had been to form complete thoughts, complete observations, and present them, and then go back in my cave. I didn't want to, like, have a dialogue. And that's what the Internet seemed to be turning into, so I, I quit. No, I, I, <laughs> and, you're, and, you're, and you're hanging on to that as well by not engaging. I've tried a little bit here and there to engage. You're not surrendering. <laughs> I just think it's so boring. It's just so boring to me. Fair. I mean, there's like, nothing wrong with I mean, it. It's just, you know, like things are changing in such a way, and and your lifestyle is such a way that, like, I wonder if you'll ever just have to surrender to it. I mean, you I, don't have to, but it's going to be. I'm no. I mean, I had Instagram. Like, I had. I was trying to do it, and I did it. Working with companies is fine, but it's just not very. It's not very interesting. I, I, I only liked it because I meet so many people around the world climbing that it was a really convenient way to keep them all in a, like sort of in a dress book. But I don't find, um, I don't really need to be connected to anyone's daily life in that way. I think it's kind of weird for me to be like in someone's daily life where I'm not. So. Yeah, it's just not that interesting to me. I have, I have nothing to sell. I have nothing to promote. Like, for my professional climber friends, I totally get it. Like, they have something to sell and promote, and there's an audience for it. And that's awesome. Um, but I don't have that. So, for me, I kind of look back, and I had left Facebook a while, a long before. But I, um, and I kept, they let you do a thing where you can keep the messenger so I kept that, but I like deleted everybody who I hadn't like, who I was just like random encounters, kind of cleaned up the population of my message app. And then the gram was like, I kind of asked myself finally, I was like, all right, like, what have you gotten from this? Like what experiences or relationships have come from using the gram that have brought good things into your life? And I kept thinking of things to be like, oh, well, there was the, 
the thing I, that I went on that trip and I met up with those people. And I was like, oh, no, that was the Facebook Messenger, actually, that we <laughs> used. And then I was like, well, I had that one. I got that work with that company, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, no, that was just a guy that I met on the beach who we all knew all the same people. And then I got that. And I was like, I just couldn't think of anything it had brought me. Certainly never, I never got any money or anything. So I just, so I just turned it off. Good for you. I mean, uh, just, I'm fully habituated to it where it's like, I remember coming back from Nicaragua and having um, a friend and her daughter try to explain like Instagram to me <laughs> and then like Snapchat and stories. And like, she showed me her story and it was her walking her horse. I was like, you put this online for people to see? <laughs> who wants like, to see this? Well, that's just, I genuinely didn't get it because like, who would want to see that? And now I'm doing the same thing. Well, <laughs> like, here I yeah. am in a van with Anne. You know, like that's my story for the day. Like, well, I mean, you have something to sell and promote. You make a podcast. Tr- correct. Yeah, and, and now I see the value in in those sorts of activities. Yeah, you know, so it's it's nice for that, and I get sure. that for sure. You know, I turned my gram back on this week and they make you keep it for the week. So I thought, I was like, I'm just going to play with it. Like, maybe it's fun. Like, maybe I was wrong. And it actually was cool. I was, I noticed there was a comment on a photo from a long time ago that I had never seen. That was a guy, uh, my best friend and I had climbed with in South Africa years ago. And, uh, he just, he wasn't really on the internet. So I didn't really, and he was also like a totally, crazy like spanish dude and like there was just no connecting with him off of we're in south africa live and it was from him and i was like oh my gosh like i'm going he lives in spain i was like i'm going back to europe he would be so cool to connect with him again climb together and so i sent him a message on the gram and was like dude let's connect on whatsapp here's my number like i'm coming back i would love to see you and i was like that's pretty cool so if any, if nothing else, that was awesome. And I did, I posted uh, a couple things. I posted a story of like a cat. And I was like, this is cool, but like, it's <laughs> sort of not that, not that interesting. I do appreciate the connectivity and finding those dinosaurs you haven't seen or spoken to. And you can kind of be a voyeur and see where they're at and see if you want to engage again. I don't want to be a voyeur and see where they're at or see if I want to engage again. But it was a nice, in that instance with him, it was cool because I had kind of given up trying to get in touch with him. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't, I hadn't really remembered it. And so that was, that was neat. But I have found, I mean, what happened when I turned it off, when I deactivated it and, and, and quit it is I immediately started getting text messages from my friends. And my friends just sending me photos of what they were up to. And it was awesome. And we started like FaceTiming. So my goal, like social media wise, is that all I do is FaceTime. And I'll text in order to coordinate opportunities the time that we will FaceTime. Fair enough. So that's been cool. And I'm taking the week on the gram to just make sure that like, because I had deleted it a bit in haste. So I'm just making sure that like, I do have like good contact information for, um, climbing partners from the last year or two that I, um, that I would, it's worth a little effort to me to see them. I tend to just run into whoever I need to run into at the right time. I don't worry too much about it, but, or if someone's in my mind really strongly, I, I can find a way to get in touch with them. It's not a problem, but, um, 
but it was nice to be able to take a little bit of action towards a few connections that I have, have stayed in my mind. You know, they're always on the list, but I don't do anything about them, you mm -hmm. know? And, uh, so that was cool. When do you think, uh, climbing became your thing? Like when was that switch flipped in your brain? Day one climbing. Like really? So just the bug bit you immediately? Oh uh, yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I went out with this like women's climbing club in Texas and they were out going out to this, um, popular crag called Rimer's Ranch. And I was like barely even into the outdoors. Like I'd gone on camping trips, you know, and done a couple of like, like we did like an ice climbing lesson, like for the kids in the program and stuff. I had seen it, but it, it was not interesting to me. But then the day I went out with those girls and just tried my first like rock climbs and like, they also like helped me understand exactly what the point was. Uh, it was perfect for me. So just, it was on, like, it sounds like, yeah. and then you, when did you commit yourself to it? Like, this is going to be my life. I'm going to move into a van. I'm going to jump continents to continue. To when I this. came back from Sri Lanka, couldn't get work in journalism, realized I was not going to be married or owning a house or having a job or doing any of that shit that was like success. I was like, you know what? If I'm going to be a fucking like failure, <laughs> I'm going to fail at the thing that's the funnest, which is climbing. So fine. I'll just be, if I'm going to be like struggling, if I'm not going to achieve success, then I would like to focus my time on not achieving success on something that's at least brings me, um, incredible pleasure. And then I decided like very clearly, like, okay, like every decision will be made based on going towards good climbing and let everything else just kind of has to like sort around that objective. Do you consider yourself a success now? No. No? I mean, not in that way, but I don't care about success in that, that way anymore. So, I mean, if we're just talking about success as a monetary success, you wouldn't consider yourself successful because you don't really make that much money, right? Oh, I make it work. You make it work. I make my life but work. life success, like, I mean, you're kind of living the yeah, life I'm a you happy, really want. I'm a happy person, yeah. Yeah. I definitely... Um, I don't care about success. I'm not interested in being like really good at anything or like achieving yeah, you don't want anything. to be pro. Like you're not striving to be no, a I'm, professional climber. No, it's not. Yeah, no, there's, I'm not, I'm not interested in succeeding in that. So then what drives you up that wall every day trying to be a better climber? I know. I'm not really trying to be a better climber. I'm pretty, I'm fine. I'm, I'm good. But prior to being where you're at, you yeah. weren't a great climber, and now you're a great climber. So something was motivating you to try to... Are you competitive? No. I'm just trying to really dig in there and figure out Honestly, what's Honestly, I was pretty good from the beginning. Okay. I know that sounds weird, no, but I was... Um, I mean, the first time I climbed, the girls I was climbing with were like, oh, that was pretty good. Mm. And I was like... It is possibly hard. <laughs> like, you know, I, I just, and yeah, I've, I did have phases where I put a lot of effort into understanding my climbing movement in a technical sense, understanding my performance, trying to see where I could bring, um, like better flow, better movement, access more difficult terrain be more efficient in my movement, you know, like really get dig into like the physical body movement, which to me, like 
obviously like I'm a Pilates teacher. Like I, I'm a, I, I love like physical mo- body movement is really interesting to me. And so that really was, um, was special. And in climbing, you know, when you're newer to climbing, like in the first few years, um, the cl- difficulty of climbing is pretty, it doesn't make any sense from outside of climbing, but from inside of it, it's very like, um, there's a very clear progression of your style and, um, and of the way that rock climb becomes more challenging physically or mentally or both. And, um, it makes it a really fun game. If you're engaged in the, the movement to play with that difficulty and try to broaden your style and increase your difficulty to a level that ultimately the goal, at least to me, is to be able to access the most beautiful rock faces um, and like experience them physically, like in this, this intimate way of, of climbing, free climbing. On so them. that's driving you? I guess. Just to be... No, I mean, I guess, yeah. That's what's interesting to me, I guess. But um, but now I don't feel... I'm interested in, like, growing my skills, like, growing my... Uh, especially, like, my logistics skills, like, my rope, my sort of, like, equipment management, um, some of my just technical knowledge of equipment and... Um, some like body movement style, like energy conservation and, um, stuff like that is, is interesting to me, but, um, I am pretty content with, I I have nothing like that I want to accomplish in climbing. Like there's not, there's no like next difficulty that's really interesting to me. There are places I would love to go climbing, but they don't, there isn't really many that require much like expertise. It's more just like finding the right partners and the right, right seasons. But even that, I mean, I wouldn't say I'm super like driven about it. I'm just, I'm curious. Just so interesting because you've been doing this almost 10 years and it's just like jumping from the States back to France. So the audience knows you go back to France like six months a year at least. That's the idea. It, it really is the last two years that I've kind of accepted that like climbing in France is really interesting to me and it's not going away with repeated visits and that I need to focus more on um, like being really honest with myself about where I want to be on the planet, if anywhere, <laughs> where, where does it feel good to be? Like where, where does life flow the easiest? Where are the opportunities for climbing the, the strongest and the most beautiful? And I feel really, um, I've been traveling to France to climb for the whole time I've been a climber off and on. And, you know, the opportunity to get the, to get Mahalo, to get the van and, um, has, has really called me back there. Yeah. So I keep, um, what style of climbing do you do? I mean, um, can you describe the audience? Because we're not. Yeah, we're, sure. I'm not a climber. There are like a few different disciplines of. There are a half a dozen kind of disciplines of climbing, um, and there are two that are really popular, which are sport climbing and bouldering. Uh, bouldering is like smaller rocks. You don't use a rope. 
usually you use some kind of like a padding foam pad at the base um, to catch a fall and you perform ex- exquisitely difficult movements, not very many of them, to ascend a really small um, rock. And that one is, bouldering is about technical expertise and physical power more than anything. And it's truly a game. Like, it is just like pure play. Um, sport climbing is a cliff face, and typically on a sport climb... Um, there have been metal bolts previously fixed to the wall, and you use those to affix the rope as you go to protect the fall. Spore climbing is a little bit longer roots than bouldering, and it starts to require a different like economics of energy and a different sort of um, type of athleticism. It will tend to be a little bit... It's considered to be somewhat less physically powerful, although that's not always true, but um, it does require a more sustained um, performance. And, uh, and because you're using a rope and you're having to make like rope uh, placements, it has just a bit, it's a bit more of a dynamic situation. And that's what you do. Uh, I do both of those. Uh, there's also big wall climbing uh, or multi-pitch climbing. Um, and that's, uh, multi-pitch climbing is like, it could be, um, sport climbing, but when you get to the top, you put yourself in directly to the wall and you bring your friend up and then you do another one up again mm-hmm. together. And then you do another one and you go all the way to the top of a larger feature. Um, trad climbing is also something I love and something that I do, which is, uh, classically, typically speaking, trad climbing, there's very little fixed protection, so there's not metal bolts connected to the wall already. You bring um, you bring gear with you that's removable to put into the rock and affix the rope that way to protect a potential fall. But in all three of these types of climbing, it's what's called free climbing, where you're not putting, you're not using anything other than the rock and your own feet and hands is the funny kind of new way to say it. Mm-hmm. Um, in order to uh, do the climb. So you don't like pull on the rope. You don't weight the rope. You don't, you don't ever come off of your direct like body to rock experience. And in trad climbing, it's the same, but, um, instead of just making one movement to clip the rope, you have to decide what piece of gear is going to fit, get it off your harness, put it in, hopefully put it in correctly. Hopefully you made all the right choices, then the rope, then keep climbing. So it's a little bit more... Um, and you do that as well? I mean, do you all... I do. I do all so three. So you do all three. What yes. are you best at? Um, my highest difficulties are in bouldering. Because I travel alone so much and I'm by myself so much of the time, bouldering um, is really easy to make safe on your own. Um, and you can become... Bouldering also tends to be a bit of a war of attrition. You'll try the same movements many, 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 many times and refine the movements like little like tricks, like a skateboarding trick, like a single trick, for example. You would uh, refine the trick over and over and over until you're dialed. And I gave a lot of my time uh, to bouldering and to bouldering in a particularly powerful style that suited my... Uh, 
the time that I had available, which was lots, and the partners I had available, which was none, and my physical strength, which is which is decent. How do you differentiate styles? Like, I'm assuming you can see someone climbing from a distance, be like, "Oh, that's so and so," because you can tell by the way they're like climbing up the rock face. Ah, uh, like style. Like uh, when I'm talking of style, I'm usually talking about um, different types of rock. Like different okay. types of geology and different angles of rock okay. are different styles. So the style, for example, of bouldering that I was really into for a few years was uh, very steep, like uh, almost horizontal roof sometimes bouldering. So it's very, very steep and it's a feature. It's a way that certain types of rock form that requires a certain type of body movements to get through. And then you have on the opposite spectrum would be like slab climbing, which is like if you picture a big dome in the distance and it's like not even vertical, it's like a little bit low. Mm. Um, and the style to climb on that, where there are no, there's not much to pull on, is a very, very different type of body movement. But your personal style and the, the way someone moves uh, can be very unique and individual. And, and there's definitely times when I'll see, uh, I'll sort of see out of the corner of my eye someone climbing or a video of someone climbing, and I'll just think, like, God, oh, that looks just like so-and-so. And I'll look, and it's them. Like, uh, in their individual approach to how they move on the wall and how they look when they're climbing. Um, and that comes, I mean, that's, I think it takes being a quite experienced climber to have a style it's like surfing, probably. Like, you know, you know, a noob when you see one. Um, but as someone becomes more comfortable on rock, they you start to see like um, different habits or different like preferences people make. And I certainly have probably plenty of my own. But um, how have you been piecing this together financially, just so the audience can get a, a pretty clear picture on? 10 years of you doing back and forth, doing your thing. Like, yeah. how does the money flow into your life and out of your life? The main thing is, um, I have very little expenses. My life technically costs about $400 a month. No matter where you are. Um, you know, that's insurance, vehicle insurance, my phone and my Spotify account. That's it. So if push comes to shove, if I can sit somewhere and not buy gas for a couple of weeks and make a little money, I'm okay. Um, I teach a lot. Uh, when I come, I try to come back to Newport. I try to take a month off of climbing every year, a uh, month to six weeks in a row for just like... To save for the year? <laughs> no, just physically for my body uh, okay, and just okay. mentally to just see what I'm thinking about climbing if I miss it, just so I don't get into like it's easy to just get into a grind. You keep showing up for it because it's what you've always done. Mm -hmm. So I love to come back to Southern California and just throw myself into Pilates and into teaching and into the ocean. Um, and it's such a blessing here because Pilates is popular. I have great people to work for and I can work a lot. So I try to make, I'll make a good amount of money. Um, you know, like, Working full time, teach, should I talk about numbers? Yeah, please tell us numbers. Yeah, like, uh, like teaching. If I come to Newport and I email all of my studios and I say yes to everything they give me, which I do, I can generate between four and six thousand bucks in like a three pay, 
three pay period mm-hmm. period, which if your life costs $400 a month is pretty good. And that's kind of my like baseline. And it doesn't sound like a lot, but, but it's primarily coming from the Pilates. Like, yeah, definitely. Pilates. When you are working, I'm saying it's coming from the Pilates hundred percent. And, uh, but you do work with some companies and brands. Occasionally. Yeah. Oh, that's true. Yeah. I'll occasionally do some, it's not reliable, but I'll tell you, I'll say yes to any work. I don't care. I'm not, I'll do anything to me. Like money coming in is good energy coming in. I do anything. I mean, I, Briston, uh, your sister hires me supplementarily from teaching Pilates to do machine maintenance in her studio. So I come in, I clean all the machines, I tighten up the bolts, whatever. And just, just, we just make an agreement about, about how much time that'll take. And I do, I mean, I've done like yard work for people. I babysit, I do anything. I, I take, yeah, I'll run a booth at a festival. I don't care. I sell a lot of climbing gear at the, uh, climbing, there's a climbing resale shop in Bishop, California that I always have like tons of stuff in and they'll send me a PayPal every once in a while, uh, like a consignment kind of a shop. So yeah, between working Pilates two or three stints a year, I come back, tend to come back over the holidays also and work when everyone goes on holiday vacation just for like two weeks. Um, yeah, coming back to teach Pilates. Uh, sometimes I'll pick up work. I worked this summer, um, for the first half of the summer teaching yoga in Colorado in a town where I wanted to live and climb. So it's climbing every day, but also teaching yoga. That was really good. I managed to make another 10 to 14,000 bucks a year hustling like that. And then. So you're making between like 24 to 30 grand a year. I don't know that I've ever actually made 30, but, uh, (laughs) you're bringing in, I'm bringing in, I'm living without debt, without drama easily off of probably about 18 to 23 grand a year for sure. If I didn't buy plane tickets, um, so often, that would go down significantly. Mm. Um, yeah, I would say, and what if I drive across the country, if I drive someplace far, you know, like Barack's gas is, it's not expensive, but it's, it's not awesome. Same, same with Mahalo in uh, Europe. Like mm. if I, if I sit tight, I'm fine. Um, if I have to make a big drive, I have to understand that like that costs 500 bucks. And when you're, life is quite small. 500 bucks is significant. So you, I always sort of start, I think of it as like sections. Like right now we're in like the USA summer section and I have like, okay, when this section is over, I guess I'll just be really straightforward. I maybe I sound pathetic, but I, um, for example, like I came back from France having bought you know, put a bunch of money into Mahalo, mm-hmm. done all that. So I was a little bit nervous, like how it would be, you know, like I knew I was like kind of at the skin of my teeth with money. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just prayed a lot and opened my mind to like finding work and like really reminded myself that like, I love to work. I always work. This always works out. 
you know, if you're willing to work, someone will pay you to do something. I went to Colorado, got a ton of work teaching and cleaning up the climbing, the climbing hostel Mm -hmm. in Uray, Colorado. Like, uh, my friend owns it and she just hired me to clean it a couple times a week. And, uh, my goal was, okay, when I leave this place, when I leave California, go back to Europe, I want to have $6,000 cash and empty credit cards and all my insurance is paid up for the time that I'll be gone. Good goal. Yeah. I'll probably come in just under it, but that way I can go there. I have a cache of cash. I have no credit card bills and I'll pay all of my insurances in the U S uh, in advance, advance. Yeah. And then, uh, I usually just turn my cell phone uh, off and use like a pay as you go, like French SIM card. The best. I was sitting at Verizon the other day and this woman was going to France with mm-hmm. her daughter mm-hmm. and the guy's like selling her this crazy package. Yeah. It's and expensive. I, was, like, I interrupted him. I'm like, ma'am, you don't need any of this. <laughs> like just get a SIM card when you land. It'll be so much cheaper. It's so easy. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I usually, I've been doing the thing where I just, Verizon lets you just turn off your phone and it costs like 30 bucks a month, I think. But I don't care about keeping my number. Like that's not important to me. So I was like, well, maybe I was like, maybe I'll just ditch it, but I'll probably keep it this time just because I'm not sure when I'm going to come back. I'm kind of waiting to see who's psyched for the fall in Yosemite, whether I'll come back from France for October and November in Yosemite or whether I'll stay in Europe. Nice. So... Do you ever get lonely? No. Never. Ah, I'm very rarely alone. I mean, I'm alone, but like there's always, I get lonely for particular types of, mm-hmm. of interaction, you know, like I get lonely for speaking like really casual English, uh, or I get lonely for being like in a one-on-one situation with somebody, um, but I'm rarely actually alone very often. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I think the, I had this like total, like, it was so funny. It's like, you're never more alone than when you're with a bunch of people, but you feel alone where I was like, I had a couple of girlfriends with me in France, like these three or four, four girls, all kind of like in their early twenties. I think one of them, two of them were like 18, all French. And we're in my van and we're driving to like, we roll up to this climbing area parking lot where like everyone's living and it's just like tons of dudes and kids and people everywhere hanging out. And I roll up with this van full of girls and they all spill out of the van and my friends, some dudes I knew like look and they see me and they're like, what the fuck? And like <laughs> rolling up with this gaggle of chicks and I was just like, I just want to hang out with a dude right now. Can we just play guitars for a while? And they were probably so happy to see you. <laughs> they were like, they were like, I was having the exact opposite thought actually, right when you rolled up. So, <laughs> but so, yeah. So you just kind of, I mean, yeah, you don't get lonely. You just enjoy this yeah. lifestyle. And I love being, I value my time alone and I have a lot of friends. So I'm not really ever like alone. In that way. Mm-hmm. I mean... How's your French, by the way? It's awesome. Not really. Um, it's okay. My friends are very encouraging. I have a French teacher that I work with on Skype um, when I'm in the U.S. 
And she's actually really, she's like, like you're getting, you're really getting there. And I can tell that I understand every, most of her words too now. Like I understand her a lot better, you know, and she's like, yeah, she's like, I really hear you coming into your accent. Like, <laughs> like it's no longer that you don't know how to pronounce the words. You pronounce them correctly, but I can hear the way that you speak French, like how your accent sounds now. And it's pretty funny. I'm like, cool, <laughs> cool. But, uh, <laughs> your goal would obviously be to learn, like you're trying to your best. Yeah. I mean, I love, uh, talking. I love words. I love thinking with words and talking with words. And so to get to talk and think with new, a whole new set of words is, uh, a huge, huge pleasure. It's really fun. Do, uh, the climbing areas in like other parts of the country interest you? Other parts of the U.S.? Sorry. Um, the world, I meant to say, like oh, Thailand yeah. or like... Uh, I've been to Thailand. I wouldn't go back there for climbing, like maybe. the Krabi area? Maybe. What's it called? I've been Tan, there. Tansai. Yeah, Tansai. Yeah, I've yeah. been there. Uh, I probably wouldn't go there again, but it's fun. Yeah, I love going on to like random places. I just sort of... Yeah, there's a lot of places in the world that I'm interested in and a lot of places that I have spent time. I'm really excited right now because when I started to... When I learned to climb... um Living in Austin, it was really common for the climbing community there. Like we considered the climbing in Nuevo León near Monterrey, Mexico and in Huasteca to be like local Austin climbing. Like we considered it ours. Mm -hmm. And so I went there a lot at that time and got to climb in a couple of places. Um, and then I stopped going there, um, when I started kind of at the same time that I started gypsying. And the economy in the U.S. was falling apart. The narco war in Mexico was also picking up. And I stopped going. We were driving there from Austin, you know, and it was always mellow. But um, it just didn't feel like really right. A lot of people I knew who were living there were moving back, being like, it's a little weird. Like, it's fine, but it's, it's weird. But this year, um, I, it's really been in my mind. I finally went climbing again in Mexico last winter. And... Uh, this year, it's it's really in my mind again to go back to some of those places and be climbing in Mexico again and go to some places I've never been and some old places that have changed a lot. So, yeah, I have a lot of places I would love to climb that I never have. It sounds like, I mean, you are kind of designing your life and shaping it towards uh, maybe a future in France. I don't know. I mean, I'm you curious. You talked about following the seasons. Like, that's really what motivates you, just following the seasons around, which are three months in each place. You've been doing that for 10 years almost. I mean, I like, mean, like I, France seems to be on the horizon in a lot of ways for you learning the language, like you're drawn back there. It's been in my heart for a long time. And when I'm there, it's just, um, I was talking to a friend who isn't French, but lives in France. And we're talking about like places, like trying to imagine living different places, like as you he was kind of a gypsy, like it's like different places you go and like, Oh, well, could I live here? And he put it really well. He was like, Oh, you know, I came here to this Valley and my heart beat a little harder. Beautiful and, uh, I, it was really well put. And I, I understood really exactly what he meant. And I feel that way in some places as well. And, um, I think, you know, I mean, I'm turning, we're, t we're turning 40 soon. And I definitely feel like, um, I love this life and I love to be free and I love to be able to follow my love for climbing, which I directly equate with like my love for just love generally. Mm. Um, and, uh, 
I, uh, I know when I'm following climbing, like that I'm following my destiny. And, um, so it, but I'm, I'm optimistic for like something else, you know? I mean, like when I think of, when I think of the future, I, I feel ready for, you know, for some, some constraints to play with, you know? What do you mean? Like I've been really good at like releasing all constraints to logistic, like human movement, you know, but I think that comes at the cost of like digging into some of the meatier parts of like intimacy in a community or in a physical place or in a relationship. And I think, um, that part there, I hope that like in the, 40s, like as I come into like, it's nice to be like changing decades a bit, you know, like uh, coming into like the next part of my life, like I want to be open to letting go of some of this, like what I see is like freedom, like my flexibility of life and my lack of responsibilities to other people and be really open to like putting some like walls up, you know, just to see like laying roots somewhere a little bit a little bit yeah like something i feel like i have this amazing spaceship you know and it's all decked out exactly as i want and i'm willing to just like completely orbit around like until i see a proper like landing site but i am optimistic you know it's (laughs) i'm optimistic that uh i think it would be fun you know like i think in a lot of ways like as much as like it's can be seen as like brave to leave conventional life and and throw yourself into something like as as you say designing your life around a pointless game that like amuses you like climbing or something you know what i mean like i think in a way like anything it can this type of life like a gypsy life and like a life built around my personal passion for rock climbing can be just as much of a a way to hide as a conventional life where you're afraid to follow something that you love like that. Mm-hmm. Or you don't want to give up the security, uh, emotional or financial security. And I think 10 years living like this is amazing, but I know that like I can do not more, but I think I could hack it in. I think I could, I'm up for a challenge. I like that. So yeah, there's there's a shift on the horizon, possibly. I don't fucking know. I mean, I mean I'm I'm looking like, for the 40s, dude. Like, dude, I don't know. I mean, maybe I I see. You know the chakras. I've heard of them. There's like seven chakras. Okay. And they like energetic centers of the human body and mm-hmm. of human life. And the I have this like I kind of been having this theory that like the chakras. You know, there's seven of them, and most of us live for seven or eight decades. That like each like. 10 years period of life like ha- is corresponds to that chakra and like the third chakra is like the solar plexus and it's all about success and willpower and action and it's like it's about designing your life you know like and being very like um strong about what you want and getting it getting shit done and um and being motivated in that way and like the fourth chakra is in the heart 
And then the fifth, sixth, and seventh are up, like the throat, the intuition, and the spiritual connection. And the fourth one is considered the place where they, the higher ones and the lower ones, which are all about the physical body and the physical world, where they pass. And to me, it means like maybe coming into my 40s or thinking of like the heart chakra, like, and love generally, this is where you take your physical being, like, your physical experiences in life and in the world and they have to they have to come in contact with your spiritual life and your intu- your imagination and your fantasy and your intuition and your connection to god and the things you say like okay like you say all this shit but like it has to get through to your action you know to where you put your body like where do you put your ass like put it where your imagination and your speech are and the fourth chakra is that passage and it's um you know they use the language in chakra land of like blockages mm. and that like the fourth chakra is like blocked by grief like grief is what keeps you from being able to like flow into love like and that grief is what keeps you from taking like your physical reality the lower chakras and your imagination and your spiritual connection and, and unifying them. And I know for me, when I fantasize, I'm not in my van all the time climbing, you know? Where are they? Where, where are your fantasies taking you? Um, Come on, give the I audience, think, give the I audience think, where your head goes. Well, I have a list. I have a list. You have a list of multiple things, not just one that kind of you circle around? No, I mean, it's a whole thing. I want to be, I think some of them are easy. I want to rock climb forever, every day. I want it to be a part of my life. And I want to live someplace every day with rock climbing all around me, different kinds. And I want to be, and that's, that's, there are places like that. But then, you know, I also want to be around people of really different generations, like every, all the time. I want to be around little kids. I want to be around really old people. I want to be around teenagers. I want to be around people humans at all phases of life and here in Newport most of my friends are like in their 70s so it's pretty cool I get that here but I want that all the time and I want to submerge my entire body into natural bodies of water every day this is also something conveniently located here in Newport the opportunity to do that and I want to I want to have like a I want to have a family. It doesn't have to be like a kid or kids of my own, but I want to be involved in the raising of life forms. Five dogs, two cats, bunch of bunch of goats, whatever, or just a bunch of plants or someone else's kids, you know, like, or just being really involved with my kids. Uh, I think of them as my kids, kind of like my nieces and nephews, you know, like be in their life enough that it's not exciting that I'm visiting, Mm -hmm. you know, like be really involved with them. Just be a little bit less like independent gypsy, you know, it's been an amazing 10 years and now I have two vans and I do whatever the fuck I want and I'm dialed, but it's like, Oh, I want to live the dream, live in the dream, live in the dream. And then you're like, all right, uh, well, dreams dialed. I mean, it's great. And if I do this, if this is it, that's fine. But 
I feel like I'm kind of been in like an incubator, you know? It's like I'm ready for a bit of a mess. And I'm curious, you know? And uh and I do I do love being in France. I think about France all the time. I you know, there's a couple of villages there that are like really strong in my mind. But I find like I I kind of have to continue to trust that like just like Go where the climbing is good, go where the partners are good, where you've got someone to climb with on some good rock, wherever it's easiest, go there, do that. And that tends to work. So. Does your uh, partner that you imagine, like a significant partner, um, have to be a climber? No. Like my imaginary boyfriend? Sure. Yeah. No, he doesn't have to be a climber, but he has to take full responsibility for the shape of his life and absolutely love it all the time. And he'll probably have to have like a real tolerance and eye for like adventure in the natural world. But I don't care. I have a couple of girlfriends who date guys who are really into like fly fishing and that seems really cool. I mean, they go cool places. There's climbing everywhere and they eat fish all the time. Mm. But, uh, there's going to be some crossover of like loving nature. Cause I mean, if you're in the mountains climbing all the time and he's an it guy on the computer. And no, he, uh, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing anything like that. No. I mean, to me, the idea is like, I'm not going to look for someone cause I, it's just, there's no, I'll find someone and I'll trick myself into falling in love with him. And then it'll just be like, not right. So for me, it's like, I have to do exactly what I want to do all the time. And then I will only be around people who hopefully are also doing exactly what they want to do all the time. And maybe it's similar to what I do, you know, but I'm not going to go away from my, I think the only way to find if there's like a, if I'm to have like a partner in my life, the only way to come into that for myself is to be very, very selfish and like very like honest with myself about like doing exactly what I want to do. Even if it seems to be taking me in the opposite direction. My mom was like, we were talking talking to my mom and I was like, well, like, she's like, well, where do you want to settle down? Like, if you think about it. And I was like, well, there's this little town and this little town. And then in California, there's this little town and this little town. And then there's always Tahoe. And she was like, well, you know, if you're hoping to have a romantic partner, I would say the bigger the town, the better the chances. And I was kind of like, eh, nah, not really. Like, not, not for me. Like, I'm not interested. I, I can't, I'm really good at selling out my preferences to find love, but I'm not interested. It's not important. That's not important enough. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, if I don't have a partner, but I'm swimming in natural water every day, climbing with good partners, hanging out with the old and the young and raising some dogs, that's okay. Four out of five is fine. So you're not on Bumble or Tinder or anything? No, like no, no, no. I don't care. I don't want to, I, I don't, I can't put effort into that type of thing. Like mm. the effort has to be in, as you say, like designing my life and like being very like honest with myself about what I want to do and how I act and not um not creating like an Instagram image that would appeal to the guy who I think I might be psyched on you know what I mean like I, 
I'm great at that. You know what I mean? Like, I'm a Libra. I can, like, adapt to any situation and, like, probably, like, make it work. But it, my true self will come out and ruin it. You know what I mean? I can relate. So I, no, for, I have to do, I have to follow, I think, I have to follow these things that I love. And if, just trust that, like, if I come across, like, an appropriate partner, that's great. If I don't, I have no, that I will be very busy. Beautifully said. How are females and males in, like, the climbing community um, seen, like, in the sense of, like, are you equals? Are you yeah. totally accepted as one of the tribe? As a girl? Mm-hmm. God, I mean, in my climbing world, it's always, I've always been around a lot of women. Um, I climb with a lot of guys too. Yeah. I mean, there's like bro crews that you wouldn't want anything to do with, but there's also like girl crews that I wouldn't want anything to do with. Um, but, but the sport has evolved in such a way where it's like, it's definitely split down the middle with talent and acceptance and respect. And I mean, probably my world is, uh, for sure. I mean, people... I don't know. I don't, I think so. I mean, I guess like when I'm out climbing, there's a lot of women climbing. Everybody climbs well. Nobody expects that anybody isn't a good climber. I mean, if any, like, yeah, I I think so. I don't feel, I mean, no, it's not really a thing in my experience. No, it's cool. I think like surfing 20 years ago, I could have said that, yeah, probably women weren't a part of the culture as much and probably weren't uh, respected in the way of being like good surfers, mm. but now it's like I think they're complete equals, you know? Yeah. Or perceived as complete equals. I don't really care about like the climbing world at large or like the climbing world generally. Like, I'm not really like that interested in mm. like climbing as a culture, but in my experience with other people and climbing, um, I've always felt like me and my, like, I always had, I I never have, I have felt disrespected, certainly, Mm -hmm. but not any more by women than by men. Right. And I have disrespected other people, (laughs) probably more men than women, because I give women the benefit of the doubt a little bit more sometimes. But, um, I, uh, in my experience, I don't have that. But, you know, in the disciplines of climbing, I do that's probably more standard. It might be different for people like in, uh, like expedition mountaineering or like, uh, expedition climbing. Like maybe there's, you see maybe more like groups that go out together, more like likely to be all male or like, I, I don't really. No, it's all good. It's not really part of my world. Your world is very interesting to me. <laughs> um, <laughs> if you could speak to somebody out there listening who wants to do something similar, you know, doesn't really have the courage yet or know how to start, whether they want to go to France, buy a van, become a rock climber, what would you say to them to inspire them? I think you have to look at every day of your life and every hour of it and try to do what you can to spend your hours doing the things you love to do, the thing you want to do. Uh, For example, like two years ago, I, I started like I had this meltdown at this crag in France on my, my poor ex-boyfriend because I wanted to live in France. 
and it was impossible. I felt like it was impossible. It's not going to happen. It's impossible. You can't live in France. It's just not happening. Go back to Newport. And I just decided, I was like, okay, fine. You can't live in France, but you can spend six months of the year in France without doing anything. And you can at least save up enough money to buy a van in France. You don't have to buy it. You can just have that. And to me, it was like, all right, I don't live in France, but I spend a lot of time there. And I think of that, you know, maybe like, okay, like I don't live, maybe you don't live in Hawaii and you don't surf every day, but you show up with your surfboard to Doheny a couple of mornings a week, even when it's horrible and you paddle out and like, then, you know, it's easy to have this vision of like, oh, fan life working two months a year, whatever. Like that's the dream. And I'm just going to grind away at this shithole job until I've saved enough money to do it all at once. I know people who say that they never do that. I think if you add the good things to your life in these small ways, and that's, that is satisfying and that will, you'll, you'll find more and more if it's what you like. Don't fucking throw your life away and move to Hawaii to surf every day only to discover that actually you like watching surfing videos, not sleeping in a bed full of sand. Interesting. Like if there's something you're curious about, you have to follow it. It doesn't have to be full time. It doesn't have to be a big change. I'm so inspired by the people in France and what blows my mind when I go there is every crag I go to has people in it who are like seven years old and 80 years old and everyone's climbing and everyone has like complicated lives with families and friends and oh, I got to go. I got this dinner thing and oh, blah, 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 blah. Like, but it's just a part of life. It's not about achieving athletic things or being popular or having some kind of lifestyle. You know, it's, we live every day and we go climbing every day because there's a crag here and we live here. So this is what we do. And it's normal. It's just a wonderful part of everyday life. Same with the surfers out here, you know? And like, if you're not already doing that, then throwing everything away in one fell swoop is probably pretty unlikely. <laughs> like, and pretty like, you might not even like it. Plenty I think of those are wise words. Plenty of people like trick out really nice vans only to park them in their driveways, you know. Yeah. And then post on in San and San Bernardino and and never feel like they uh like they get out. So I think that's my advice. I think it's beautiful. Thank you for sharing your beautiful life, unique life. I wish you all the best on your trip back to France. Thanks. Awesome. Thank you, Anne. I really appreciate your time. What a cool story. I mean, 10, 10 years on the road, living in a van, designing your life around rock climbing, getting to spend it in France and America and all the other places you've been on such a little budget. I think that's tremendously inspiring to anybody listening out there who thinks it's impossible to do what she's doing. I mean, listen to what she's saying. Like She lives off very little a month and she gets to do it in some really cool places doing what she loves. So anything's possible, I think, when you put your mind to it. And thank you, Anne, for sharing your story. Also, just a reminder to hit that subscribe button 
If you want to support Misfits and Rejects, you can do it on Patreon, as I said in the intro. The other way you can support Misfits and Rejects is by going over to misfitsandrejects.com backslash shop and purchasing a t-shirt. All the support is really helpful, but obviously nothing is expected. I want you to know I think you all are so very beautiful. Thank you so much for joining me week in and week out. If you like these episodes, I appreciate if you share them with friends. Let's try to get this message out there, you know, inspiring people to take that first step and designing their life in the way they've always wanted. And I look forward to seeing you next week's episode. Ciao. Thank you for listening to Misfits and Rejects. I hope this inspires you to think about your life situation, where you're at, and possibly make a big decision to choose something different for yourself if you're unhappy with where you're at in life. I hope these people that I interview inspire you to go out, spread your wings, and try something new to live a different lifestyle that maybe your whole life people were telling you was the wrong one, but when in fact it's the perfect one for you. And I'll see you next time.